You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Ephesians 4 is where we are this morning. I'm going to read in verse 17 through verse 24. I'll pray and then we will hop into it. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says the following, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we just pause um, and we recognize that you are here today, but it's hard for us to be here. It's hard for us to be fully present. We realize in the chaos of life and trying to get kids ready to, to you know, come and be a part of the service and the to-do list that we know we have to knock out after this is over because of our own sinfulness and fallenness and brokenness. It is hard, uh, Father, to lock in on just being here in the moment. And so I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do, that you will arrest our attention, uh, that you will help us to focus on your word, which you tell us is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it's active and that it's living. And we pray that through the preaching of the word, that through this teaching today, that you will use it to conform us more in the image of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Be true to yourself. Good advice, bad advice, yes, um, This phrase has been used all the time in our culture. In that magazine interview with the Hollywood celeb, hey, what advice do you have for the reader? Well, you know, the thing is, you just need to be true to yourself. It's like, great, you know, that's really helpful, but what if I don't look like you, right? Um, In the uh, self-help book that you read on 10 tips of how to be successful, tip number three, just be true to yourself, right? Or in the Oprah-esque type show, Right? What do you need to do? Well, the thing is, if you want to be happy, you have to be true to yourself. Panted the crowd. Ah, you know, everyone's just so, so deep. This phrase, be true to yourself, has become more than a cliche in our culture. It's actually a mantra that has been adopted by, I'd say, millions and millions of people. And as a follower of Jesus, I actually have mixed feelings about it. I mean, on the one hand, I love it because I do think it's right in line with what we've been talking about on discovering our true identity and calling, of discovering who we really are in Christ. But on the other hand, I hate it. Um, It's not that helpful at all because, for starters, you have questions like this, like, which self am I to be true to? Because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a mixed bag, right? I mean, like, there's, there's one part of me that wants to eat healthy and look like I belong in the men's fitness magazine. And then there's another part of me that doesn't want to work out at all and just wants to eat hamburger station every single day throughout the week, um, which is what Steve says is better than a, than a Roy's burger. And so um, 
there's part of me that, that, that wants to read my Bible and pray every day and stop throughout the day and just recenter myself in the presence of God. And then there's another part of me that just wants to wake up and blow through my quiet time and just knock out all my tasks in my own power because I believe I can do it better than God can do it. And I'm guessing I'm not alone today because from my experience, I think we all tend to have these competing thoughts and desires, don't we? I mean, we all tend to have some desires that are good and beautiful and true. Then we have these other desires that are just bent in all the wrong direction, and they're just kind of upside down. And therefore, I think all of us, if we can be honest today, we live in this tension. We live with this inner conflict, with this tug of war over these desires, this tug of war that the Apostle Paul actually wants to address today in our text in Ephesians 4. And just to kind of set the context for you before we dive back into the section we're going to look at today... Paul has just spent time saying in Ephesians 4 that the goal of a disciple is to grow and mature. That as a disciple, we should look differently today than we did last year. That we all, if you claim to follow Jesus, should grow up into him. We should go from looking like spiritual infants that can barely even feed ourselves to being spiritual adults who are able to feed others. We are all to become more like Jesus and who he is and what he does. That's what Paul has just said here. And then in verse 11 and 16, he actually goes on and says, this is the point of having a pastor. In verse 11 and 16, you can read it later, but but Paul says the point of a pastor is not to do all of the ministry, despite what our culture would teach us in northeast Arkansas, but rather the point of a pastor is to equip you to be the man, to be the woman God created you to be, to help you grow up in Christ so that you can do the things that he's laid on your hands to do. And therefore, in light of all of that, he goes on, and in this section, if you look in verse 22 again at this command, Paul says in light of this, you're to put off your old self. Right, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. To put off the old self in order to put on the new self is an imagery of clothing. For those of you who grew up in the 80s, think of Mr. Rogers. Right? Whenever he walks into the house, he takes off his jacket, he puts on the sweater, right? This is the invitation from Paul in Ephesians 4, right? And I'm going to do this. Don't worry, I'm just taking my jacket off, okay? Um, And I know some of you are like, man, this is totally cheesy, but you know what? You're going to remember it on Wednesday, okay? Um, This is the invitation to take off the old and to put on something new. Right? This is the word picture that we have right here in Ephesians 4, right? And it's an idea, right, around like putting off the old self, the false self, which no longer belongs to you, and put on now, step into who you are in Christ. Thomas Merton, who has done a lot of work on Ephesians 4, he talks about the old self by calling it the false self. He talks about the new self as talking about uh, the true self. And he says, the reason this command is so important for us to get is for this reason. I think I can put the quote on the screen for you. He says, you find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life. That's really important for us to hear. You find peace not by rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. Sooner or later, we must distinguish between what we are not and what we are. We must cast off our false exterior self like a cheap and showy garment that it is, And we must find our real self in all of its elemental poverty, but also in its great and very simple dignity 
created to be the child of God. You know, we've been saying for over a month now that we believe one of the key tasks in our discipleship to Jesus is discovering our identity and calling. But here's the deal, and you know this is true. It's one thing to say that our task as a disciple is to discover our identity and calling. It's another thing to actually discover that. It's one thing for me to say that the goal of a disciple is for you to grow up and to look more like Christ. It's another thing for you to actually mature. It's one thing to say, like I did two weeks ago, hey, what is true of Jesus is now true of you, and now you simply have to be who you are in Christ. Just step into that. Right? It's easy to look at that and go, yeah, preach it, brother. But it's another thing to actually change. And therefore, the question that I want to drill down on today and next week is how do we actually do this stuff? How do we actually go from living in the false self to living in the true self? Right? How do we actually now become the man and woman that God has created us to be? How do we grow? How do we mature? How do we actually change? That's the question I want to drill down on. And one of the ways that we talk about change within fellowship culture is this language of what we call spiritual formation. And if you're not familiar with that language, don't worry about it. It's not even the exact language that's used in the New Testament, but it's pretty close. Because in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about change, it talks about it um, in this word transformation in the English. But the Greek word for it is actually metamorpho, which is where we get our English word from, metamorphosis which is what scientists use to describe what happens when a, when a caterpillar changes to a butterfly. And so therefore, when you think about that, when we talk about spiritual formation as pastors, to put simply, spiritual formation is this. It's a process by which we are transformed to become more like Jesus, and in doing so, our real, true self. Should you look at that again? Spiritual formation is a process by which we are transformed to become more like Jesus, and in doing so, our real, true self. One of the reasons we do things like membership renewal, which is unique to fellowship. Most of you have never been to a church that does anything like that. I understand it's different. One of the reasons that we require you to be in a missional community, if you're going to be a member, one of the reasons we provide counseling, one of the reasons that we spend, what did we spend last year? You know, 800 hours developing your missional community leaders so they can help pour into you. One of the reasons, right, that we do things like the Enneagram workshop like we did last year is because we want to see every single person engage in this process. More than anything, we want to see every single one of you become the real true self you were created to be in Christ. Think about Paul's words in Galatians 4.19. Paul says, My dear children, from whom I'm again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is the heart of the pastor. Paul says, man, like a woman in labor, I'm working in agony and prayer and pain and passion and anticipation just to see Christ formed more and more in you, to see you grow up into who Christ created you to be. And because this isn't just a passion for Paul, because this is a passion for the pastors of this church, over the next two weeks, we're going to drill down specifically on this idea of spiritual formation. We're going to talk about how do we actually go from saying, yes, I want to become more like Christ, to actually becoming more like Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, for two of you, excellent. For the rest, it might be a long morning. Um, Now, before we dive into this, I'm going to share a disclaimer, okay? What I'm about to teach you on... This week and next Sunday, I've taught on before. In fact, if you go back and you look at our podcast, I was teaching on the same thing, this exact, or this exact same thing uh, this time last year. Okay? 
So you're thinking, okay, Jerry, why are you teaching on this again? Well, for two reasons. One, what I'm learning the hard way is that um, as leaders, we tend to under-communicate by about a margin of 10. And so what that means is I will get up here and I'll teach on something that I think is a pretty good topic or something we need to hear, and I'll be like, okay, taught on that, cool, you got it, now let's move on to the next thing. Problem is, I don't learn that way, and you don't either. Um, if we're going to change, we have to hear the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over until eventually it seeps down from our minds and into our heart and actually transforms more than our Sunday but begins to transform our everyday, which is what Jesus is after. So that's one reason I'm teaching on this again. Another reason I'm going to teach on it again is because literally we're building our entire church around this idea of spiritual formation. Um, from, from the time we started Almost six years ago, with six people, we've said our whole goal was gospel saturation. We want to saturate this city and beyond with the gospel. What we're realizing is we cannot possibly give ourselves to gospel saturation apart from spiritual formation. We cannot send you out to form the city for the glory of God if you're not being formed yourself. So we're building our entire church around this. And what we talked about a year ago, whenever I told on this very same thing, is that when you look in the scripture, every Christian is a disciple, every disciple is a Christian, and a disciple is to reorient their life around three goals. You need to memorize this, okay? Because if you're here and you're a Christian, you're a disciple, this is you. But the scripture teaches us that a disciple is someone who is reorienting their lives around three things. Goal number one, to be with Jesus. Goal number two, to become like Jesus. Goal number three, to do what Jesus did. Goal number one of a disciple should be to be with Jesus. We're going to talk about that next week. Goal number two, to actually become like Jesus. And goal number three, to begin to, to, begin to do the things that Jesus did. So please know this. I'm just going to tell you, what is the pastor's agenda for your life? It's that. That we will help you be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And therefore, because we're building our whole church around this, the stuff I'm about to teach on, we want everybody in here who's a member to know this stuff like the back of your hand. Okay, so please don't engage this week and next week as if like, okay, did I like that? Was the illustration cool? Did I agree with that? But, but, but receive it in a way of how can I now turn around and not only embrace this, but teach it to others. Okay, so on that note, we have two spiritual formation paradigms that our church is organized around. Okay, and these paradigms, basically the result, the result of years of research and reading and processing for the purpose of basically trying to synthesize what the New Testament is teaching on how we change, how we are formed. Next week, we're going to talk about intentional spiritual formation. This week, we're going to talk about unintentional spiritual formation. And listen, by unintentional spiritual formation, all we mean is that this is how you are formed with little or no effort whatsoever. The paradigm that we're going to look at today, okay, please hear this. The paradigm we're going to look at today shows you that all you have to do is wake up tomorrow and you will be formed. So the, the paradigm we're looking at today shows you not a proactive approach to how you're going to be formed, but a passive approach to how you are formed. And before I dive into this, please hear me, okay? Spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Now, there's a Christian version of it, and we're going to talk about that next week. But we are not static beings. Because we are always being formed, spiritual formation is a human thing. So here's the question today. Listen, whether you consider yourself to be a Christian or not, whether you're on this journey with us or not, we're glad you're here. So thankful here. Pray that you keep on coming. But what you need to understand today is the question is not, am I being formed? The question today is, who or what am I being formed into? 
Or another way to ask it, the question is not, am I a disciple? The question is, who or what am I a disciple of? Am I a disciple of Jesus or am I a disciple of someone or something else? Okay, so all that being said, uh, Ryan, can we throw that unintentional paradigm on the screen? All I'm going to do in the rest of the time we have, guys, is I'm just going to keep this on the screen for you. I want to dive into this, and then at the very end, I'm just going to drop a question on you to chew on the rest of the week. Okay, so unintentional spiritual formation. First off, what we need to understand is we are all today, whether we want to be or not, formed by the stories we believe. If you look back in Ephesians 4, verse 17... Paul talks about those who are futile in their thinking, and here's what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, for they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, when Paul uses this phrase, the futility of their minds, or your translation might say the futility of their thinking, he's talking about more than just the Gentiles' thought life. He's talking about what we would call a worldview or literally a lens in which we view the world to try to interpret it and make sense of it. And the reason this is important is, listen, we all know life is complex, right? Okay, for some of you it is, others your life is not complex. For most of us, I think we all know our life is very complex. And listen, as human beings, we, are, we, we literally are hardwired to take complexity and try to turn it into simplicity. We can't help it. Like we literally are wired by God to take the news and the chaos and social media and our own life experiences and somehow try to put it all together in a story to make sense of the world. And what we need to understand is, listen guys, I'm telling you, like this stuff today, I truly believe will change your life if you can stay focused and listen The story that you are forming in your mind, you will begin to live out that script in your everyday life. Um, This is why Bobette Buster, who is a Hollywood screenwriter, he calls all human beings narrative animals. Because these narratives, these stories that we believe in our head, absolutely, for better or worse, will give shape to our lives. And I could give you a lot of examples on this, but I'm just going to use sexuality as an example because that's the easiest one for me to use, I think. Whether you realize it or not, our culture is telling you a story about sexuality. And what the culture is telling you about sexuality is basically because we're nothing more than animals. Sex is purely biological and physical. Therefore, it's just kind of like play for grown-ups. And so just go have sex with who you want, when you want, no big deal whatsoever. Now listen, that's not an objective truth. That's a story. Okay? Now think about the story that Jesus tells. Think about what the Bible says about sexuality. It says that actually sex, the Bible actually paints a much higher view of sex, not a lower view, because it says sex is sacred. Sex is like fire. I mean, if you think about fire, fire is a really good thing, right? With fire, if it's in the right context, within the right boundaries, like say a fireplace, it can warm your house up. But if it moves outside of that boundary, what can it do? It can burn your house down. That's the way Bible speaks of sex. It's a really, really, really good thing, and it's so powerful. God said the only container that can possibly hold it without burning your life down is marriage between a man and a woman. Now, again, that's a story. So the question you have to ask yourself immediately is, which story am I going to believe about sex? And I would just say this, and this is an evangelistic tool I use, by the way, when I talk with my unbelieving friends, and they begin to say, well, man, I just think life is all about this or whatever. I'll just say, who told you that? 
Why, who, who told you that that's the way, what life is all about? And what makes you think that if you believe that story, it's going to end well for you? Right? So again, these are stories. And I can give you more and more examples. I mean, the world is telling you stories about how to use your finances. It's telling you stories about what it means to be a Christian. It's telling you stories about what the church should look like. It's telling you stories about how you should parent your kids. On and on we can go. The point is, though, all of the stories that we believe, and we all believe stories. The question is not if you believe, but we all believe stories. Which story are you believing? Because, listen, all stories, absolutely, for better or worse, will give shape to the person you become. Okay? Secondly, not only are we formed by the stories we believe, we're formed by habits. If you look down in verse 20, Paul writes, that, however, is not the way that you learned Christ. What Paul's getting at here is the reality that we all have a way in which we live. We all have a set of habits. We all have things we do on a regular basis that will give direction and shape to either who we are or who we are not becoming. And there's actually a ton of work that's being done on this right now, even outside of the church. I think about the New York Times best-selling book, The Power of Habit. It's a fantastic book. Um, and what all of these guys are saying is they're basically just trying to catch up to what the Bible's teaching. And it's the reality that you and I become a little bit more than the accumulative effect of our daily, weekly, and monthly habits. In other words, what we do on a regular basis, guys, listen, that's what we become. Or another way of saying it is the things we do, do something to us. Because what research tells us is that our habits, whether you realize it or not, guys, they get at the core of our being. That they get into what the Bible calls the heart, or what neurologists call our limbic system. A place where literally the habits will seep into and literally begin to shape our loves and our longings. And again, I can give you a lot of examples on this, but I'll, I'll share this one. Every morning when I wake up, I drink a cup of coffee. Okay, it's become an enjoyable part of my morning routine. But like many of you, I'm guessing when I first drank coffee, I thought it was gross. I couldn't stand it. I, I didn't understand why anybody would ever want to drink coffee. So how did I go from thinking coffee is gross to now enjoying it every single day? In short, here's how that happened. When I was eight years old, I remember vividly watching my grandfather drink just a hot black cup of coffee. And I love, thank you, Randy, I love my grandpa. I mean, he's a World War II vet. He's a Purple Heart, Bronze Star uh, recipient. I mean, he's a hardworking man. He was a hunter. He was just a man's man. He loved his family, loved Jesus. And I remember watching him, and so I started to get me some coffee. Now, at first, it was like six tablespoons of sugar and a lot of milk, which is a little bit of coffee in it. But over time, I began to take out the sugar. I began to take out the milk. And when I first began to drink just straight-up black coffee, I still didn't necessarily like it, but I continued to drink it. And eventually, guess what happened is over time, I became the kind of person who actually now loves for and longs for coffee. What happened? Through daily habits of drinking coffee, I began to like coffee. Now listen, I know this is a real simple observation, and you probably don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The more you do something, the more you want to do it. On the flip side, the less you do something, the less you want to do it. Um, the more you eat dessert after dinner, the more you're going to want to eat dessert after dinner. Right? The more you work out, the more you're going to want to work out. Some of you are like, no, it ain't true of me. All right? Well, you got to do it more than three times, Okay. Um, on the flip side, right, 
Well, let me say this. The more you read your Bible, the more you pray, guess what? The more you're going to want to read your Bible and pray. But on the flip side of that, the less you read your Bible and the less you pray, the more that when you actually try to do it, you're going to be fidgeting. You're going to be like, I got to go to Facebook. I got to, I got to get to, right? All that just to say, listen, point I'm trying to make is your habits get into your heart. When you do something, it does something to you, which means, guys, hear this. When you watch Netflix, you're not just watching Netflix. Like Netflix is doing something to you. When you look at your iPhone, you're not just looking at your iPhone. Like literally, it's doing something to your heart. When you go to the gym, you're not just working out. It's doing something to your heart. When you're talking to that coworker who's kind of flirting with you a little bit, like it's doing something to your heart. And this is really bad news when it comes to our bad habits, but it's also really good news when it comes to our discipleship to Jesus. Because here's what it means, guys, and please hear this. Through our habits are what the church history calls spiritual disciplines. You can actually begin to point your heart in the right direction. You can begin to have a say in which direction your heart and your desires go. You can begin to close the gap between what you say you believe in your head and what's actually going on in your heart. Through these healthy habits, we can point our lives and our hearts and our desires towards Jesus. And there's a whole lot more I'm going to say on that next week. But for now, we're formed by stories we believe, and you need to understand we're formed by our habits. Now, third, and much quicker from here on, we're also formed by our relationships. If you notice in verse 17, when Paul says you, the you is plural, not singular. So it can actually be translated you all, or since we're in Arkansas, y'all must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, plural, in the futility of their minds, plural, for they, plural, are darkened by their understanding. And on and on he goes. And what Paul is doing here is he's reminding us of something we all know to be true. And it's the reality that we become like the people that we hang out with the most. Or as my dad used to say, you son, you show me the man you're running or the people you're running with, and I'll show you either the man you are or the man you will become. The people that we hang with, for better or worse, will form us. And this starts right in our households. Nothing will shape you more than the family you grow up in. That's really good news for some of you. That's really terrible news for others. That's mixed for some of us. After you get out of the house, though, you also begin to be conformed by people that you run around with. That's why if you walk into a high school, we see it there, but the same rings true for us now, right? You hang out with people, the people you hang out with, you dress like them, you act like them, you vote like them, you talk like them. We become like the people that we hang out with. And I don't think I have to say a whole lot more on that. But again, relationships, they form us. And then finally, the environment that we are in. In verse 19... Paul says they have, talking about the Gentiles, become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, let me nerd out on you for 30 seconds. Just stay with me. I promise you'll survive. Okay, but I have to explain something to you about the history of Ephesus before I can make my next point. In Ephesus, what you had was the temple of Aphrodite, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Okay? And literally, Aphrodite was viewed as this goddess who was the goddess of sexuality and futility. And so if you worshipped Aphrodite, which many people did, what you would do as an act of worship to her is you would go to a temple and you would have sex with a prostitute, male or female, your choice. And then when you had sex with this prostitute, Aphrodite would bless you with children who would be very fruitful and prosperous. Okay, a lot of people believe this. On top of that, 
because this was such a, a popular form of worship, right, this temple right here in Ephesus would be a place that literally people from all over the world would travel to, which what historians tell us then made Ephesus like this epicenter of just this incredibly wealthy financial place in the world. It's kind of like a New York City today. And so when you take these two things, what you have is as a result, you have a city that was known for its sexual morality and a city that was known for its greed. Two things that Paul calls out right here in verse 19. And it's not a coincidence that of all the things Paul could have told the church to look out for, he calls out these things. Listen, Paul knows sexual morality and greed, they're acute issues in this specific environment. And because he knows we're all informed by the environment we grow up in, he says, church, you need to look out for this stuff. The reason that's important is, guys, whether you believe it or not, Northeast Arkansas has an environment. There are things in this environment, like Paragould and Jonesboro, like Northeast Arkansas has an idea of who it wants you to become and what it wants you to do. Some of these things are really good. Some of these things are really bad. I was talking with a pastor this past week. I don't know if you guys realize this, but did you know that Arkansas is now second only to Nevada for the number of divorces per capita per state? And that really shouldn't even count. I mean, Nevada shouldn't even be like in the race, right? I mean, they've got Sin City there. Right? I mean, like, it shouldn't even, so really you could say, like, among normal states, we are number one in the nation, right here, the buckle of the Bible belt, number one in the nation in divorces. Like, if you think that doesn't form you, you're deceived. Many of you have been impacted by this directly, some of you indirectly. It changes how we view marriage, it changes the importance of it, the faithfulness of it. All of those things get in us and they shape us for better or for worse. And now, here's what we got to think about, guys. Now, because of technology, we're able to live in two places at once. You, have to, you live right here in northeast Arkansas, and for many of us, we live right here in our phones. And so what's happening is the world is getting bigger, but it's also getting smaller. And so like, you know, for me, what I've noticed is no matter where I travel, right, people look alike, they act alike, they dress alike, they talk alike. And there's so much more I can say on that. But again, guys, like for better or worse, our environment absolutely shapes us. And then finally, look, if you look on the, below the line, this happens over time and through experiences. And this is what's tricky, okay? Listen. It's not like if you buy an iPhone, you're like the very next day you're going to have all the values of the Kardashians. Okay? It doesn't happen that quickly. Or, or it's not like if you move to Paragol that immediately like you're going to be shaped by the theology of Nickelback or whatever it is, the music that people are listening to in this area. Okay? This all happens over time, and then it happens through experiences, through good experiences and bad experiences, through divorce and marriage, through success and failure, through wins and losses, through monumental moments, and just the mundane stuff of life. All of this stuff, guys, look, every single bit of the stories we believe, the habits, the relationships we find ourselves in, the environment that we're living in over time and through experiences absolutely will shape us into someone or something. Many times when we're passive in this, it shapes us absolutely into the image of the world. So the question then that maybe some of you are asking is, how do I offset this? How do I become more like Jesus rather than the world? How do I actually become the man I was created to be? How do I become the woman I was created to be? How do I walk in the true self rather than the false self? And in order to answer that, right, you're going to have to come back next week. 
I'm going to talk about it in part two of this. And just by the way, hint, it's not just show up at church more and try harder, okay? So maybe that'll bring some of you back next week. Now, for this week, here's my point, and we're almost done. My point is, guys, please hear me. All of that stuff forms you, and all you have to do is wake up. You're being formed. I promise you. And I think one of the reasons, by the way, the church is declining in America is the world's done a far better job of discipling our people than the church is. Um, you don't have to plan anything for this to happen. You don't have to schedule it. You don't have to take notes. All you have to do is whatever you're doing right now with zero intentionality in your life, and you will be formed into someone or something. And so with that being said, just as I told you earlier, I want to just leave you with a question. Here's the question I want you to chew on this week in light of all that. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Okay, so don't think about the person next to you, the person you're MC. Think about yourself. Here's the question. Who are you becoming? Who are you being formed into? If you were to plot your life and your character on this trajectory from 10 to 20 years from now, what are you going to look like? So if you're 20, think about if you're 30 or when you're 40 or if you're right, 30, think about when you're 40 or 50. Who do you see on the horizon based off of how you're living right now? Do you see someone who looks more like Jesus? Do you see yourself stepping more and more into the man or the woman that you were created to be? Do you see yourself becoming more generous, more forgiving, more merciful, more faithful, more devoted, more kind? more relational? I mean, do you see a healthier version of yourself? Or if you go on the path you're going on right now, do you see something different? That's the question I want you to ponder. And remember, guys, again, this is a culture of gospel plus safety plus time. This is a culture where it's a safe place to work through this together. It's a place where you're going to get hit with wave after wave of God's grace to so be reminded that his grace is sufficient for you. It's a safe culture where people's not, not going to be talking bad about you and gossiping or looking down on you because you're not where you should be. It's a culture of time where we realize people don't change overnight. So we're not expecting anybody to get there overnight, right? This is this place where we want you to grow in God's timing and not our time. But again, the question is, who are you becoming? And to try to help you become more of the person Christ has created you to be, this week in our practice, and as you know, every week we've been doing these practices in this series where we want you to take what we're learning and then apply it in your life, is we want you to do what um, is called a habit audit. And we actually stole this from James K.A. Smith, and here's kind of the idea behind a habit audit, Okay. Basically, it's for you to slow down long enough this week to actually look at all the stuff that's right in front of you, your rhythms and your rituals, and actually begin to think for once, like, what is this stuff doing to me? And so what you might begin to do, and I started doing it this past week, is, okay, I spend 30 minutes a week making coffee, or I spend two hours on Netflix. By the way, I don't remember who told us how to do this in our missional community. You can pull up your iPhone, you can go to your battery, and it'll literally tell you how much time you spend in your phone and what areas you do that, whether it's Instagram or whatever. Look through that. So how much time? I'm spending two hours on Facebook or Instagram, whatever it is, and then honestly do an assessment and say, okay, what things are forming me more into the image of the world than in the image of Jesus? And I would encourage you to begin slowly but surely to begin to replace the things that are not conforming you more into the image of Christ with things that will, okay? And if you want more information about how to do that, that is on our app. You just go to the app. You'll see our, our graphic up there, Discovering Your Identity and Calling. Click on that, and you can begin to work through it, okay? Now, here's what I want to do as we end. I just want to read a quote over you um, before we enter into a time of communion. So you can close your Bibles, 
exhale a little bit, okay? I'm going to read this to you, and then I want us to go into a time of communion. This is from James K.A. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love. It's one of the best books I've read. Basically talks about all the stuff that I just talked about today, but in a much more articulate fashion. Here's what he says. Hear this, and we'll be done. We are what we want. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of human person. Thus, Scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive, to the, to be attentive and intentional about what you love. Therefore, listen to this. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all.